Hi, my name is Minda Hartz, and I'm your host of Secure the Seat, your weekly podcast that helps women of color secure their seat at the table. And it's not about getting your seat and being a gatekeeper. It's about bringing other women of color along for the ride with you. I hope you're doing well. Happy Wednesday or whatever day you listen to Secure the Seat. I hope you're enjoying season four. I'm really excited about launching a couple different themes this season, uh, one of which is a uh, a finance theme where I have a few guests that will talk about the road to wealth creation because I do believe part of securing our seat is uh, may not be just the nine to five. Like I don't believe you're necessarily um, going to get rich off of just your nine to five. You got to have other things going for you, those diverse streams of income. And so I want you to be aware of what they are, or even when you're negotiating your salary, knowing that you can bring up some of these other options. And so We're going to talk wealth creation. We're going to talk cryptocurrency. We're going to talk blockchain. Really excited about uh, future guests that are coming. So like I said, I'm going to try some different themes this season because I think um, when we're securing our seat, the more we have in our toolkit, the more knowledge we have, the more education around certain subjects, the better we are. I am officially off my first leg of the book tour. Thank you to each and every one of you that came out to any of the cities. I know uh, my last city was in Kansas City and one woman and her niece, they drove three hours to book tour. So I hope it was worth it. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you for coming. I just, I'm just so full of joy. I mean, the fact that when I went, when we went out to shop this book around, we were told there was no audience for it and it's, and it's a bestseller and it's still not even People still are just learning about it, and it's because of you. It's because of every person you're telling about the book or that you've told about the book or that you've shared on social media. Um, You've gifted it to somebody. Like I couldn't have done it without all of you. I mean, my testimony is um, I didn't hit New York Times bestseller, but the community, the conversation, I did hit some of the other lists. Um, that, That was the priceless thing. I would, I am not famous. I don't have a trillion followers. The fact that, um, my book is sitting next to lean in and some of these other books in like on Amazon bestsellers and some of the indie lists. I mean, I'm just so thankful to each and every one of you. Like, I know you guys are probably tired of me saying it, but success is not a solo sport. I've been on the road pretty much since August 20th. I'm super duper tired. But every city, every engagement, it's your faces, it's your smiles, it's everything, it's the love that keeps me fueled. And so um, maybe the memo is not your story. Maybe you didn't relate to it, but you know somebody who could, you know somebody who needs this support. Um, It's not about me per se. It was about getting that story out there, about telling the stories. There is not a book out there like this by a major publisher and tell the memo what women of color need to know to secure a seat at the table came out. And I hope that the publishers will see, wow, these women are really rallying behind this book (laughs) and we need to put more stories out there. I mean, this is bigger than me. This is about us. This is about the future. We talk about securing our seat. And I always say this, this is about making sure we bring others along with us. And I'm starting to go speak at more universities and colleges. And the one thing that they, that many of the young women ask me is like, should I change my name? Should I wear my hair like this? Like we got to use our voices, ladies and gentlemen, so that 
these young women can come in their full glory and all they have to worry about is working their job and going ahead. Like they shouldn't have to worry if they, if they have to pull back on their blackness or pull back on their, whatever identity they choose to show up as. I mean, it's so important that we keep using our voice. We create, keep creating space so that the workplace is better for them because there were women that came before us that made it better for us. We might have some skin knees, but thank God they use their voice because we could show up at the table. There were so many black and brown women, women of color that worked really hard and they never got that seat at the table, but they should have. And now many of us have the opportunity to be there. What are we going to do with that seat? Okay. I'm off my horse. Um, <laughs> if you um, are not signed up for the virtual book club, you need to go to mindahearts.com if, or I politely ask you to please go there, sign up because not only is that you'll get updates on the cities that I'm coming to next this week, I'm in uh, a few events in Austin. So I hope to see you there, the Texas women's conference, what I'm most excited about speaking there. I'm not on the same stage as her, but uh, hearing Tracy Ellis Ross, really big fan of her and can't wait to hear her speak. And I have some other conferences and companies. I'm, I'm hitting the next wave of, I guess you could say my tour and not so much the book aspect of it, but the um, I'm going to a lot of companies and universities and colleges next. My hope, I put it out there on Twitter, is that in 2020, I get to do an HBCU tour because I feel like we need to have these conversations. We got to equip these, the next generation of young men and women that look like us for the secret sauce so that when they get there, they understand what, how this game is being played and um, just giving them a foot up on it. I think that's so important. So I know that many HBCUs are in kind of a crunch right now uh, financially, but I'm hoping that whoever's listening, if uh, your company would be interested in sponsoring that, let's make it happen because we got to make sure that, that they have what they need. I had the pleasure of um, speaking at Dillard last week, and um, I'm just so, I'm so pleased. I'm so proud of this next generation, uh, and I can't wait for them to enter the future of work, to enter the workforce, but we got to make it better for them. So keep using your voice, keep advocating, keep creating seats. Like Diddy said, can't stop, won't stop, <laughs> okay? Um, but today's episode is actually about the road to activism. Oftentimes, many of you will ask me, how did you find your voice? How did you find your courage to speak out on these things? And trust me, I was not always this person. I definitely didn't wake up like this. Uh, but once I realized that it was it was bigger than me and that I could no longer just keep my head down and be quiet, I had to use my voice in this way. You might find other ways to use your voice with your time, with your finances, with your mentorship, your sponsorship. But we all should be doing something and I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Blackstock, and we talk about the road to activism um, and how she created space for, for her work. And I asked her the question, how did you find your voice? And she said to me, I always had it, man. I, and you know, what's so profound about that is that we all have our voice. We just have to decide on how we want to use it. And so without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Dr. Blackstock, welcome to Secure the Seat. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be, happy to have you, and I can't wait to dive into today's conversation. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about you? 
Okay, so I am uh, originally from Brooklyn, New York. I am a emergency medicine physician by training, um, but I also have currently have a leadership role in diversity affairs at NYU School of Medicine. But the most interesting thing about me, uh, you know, recently is that I launched my own company called Advancing Health Equity. Congratulations. Welcome to entrepreneurship. <laughs> thank, thank you. I, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. Um, it's something that, you know, when physicians talk about being an entrepreneur, um, it's usually about, you know, having your own private practice, but not really about having your own company dealing with sort of non-clinical matters. That's awesome. That's a whole nother podcast in and of itself, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but a couple of things I wanted to to chime in on, and I know that we'll talk a little bit more about your company later, but your road to activism. And many might come across your Twitter feed and say, wow, you know, she's found her voice. Tell us about how you found your voice and how you're using it for good in the healthcare industry. Sure. So, you know, what's interesting. So I, I always had a voice, right? But I didn't always have um, a platform. And what has been interesting for me is that over the last two years, I've been in this role uh, in diversity affairs you know, at an academic medical institution. And I've had the opportunity to, you know, have certain experiences that have really sort of opened my eyes. And sort of what I realized is that a lot of the issues that I care about within diversity, equity, and inclusion are issues that are not just um, important to deal with within my institution, but really um, externally um, as well. And I wanted to make a larger impact. So, you know, I'd been on Twitter for a while and um, I got promoted last March to associate professor. At that time, I only had about 80 followers, but I was so <laughs> excited that I, I tweeted out, I just got promoted to associate professor, hashtag what an associate professor looks like. And that tweet kind of went mini viral. And I actually got about a thousand followers from that. I wasn't even expecting it. I was just so happy. And so I thought to myself, wow, a thousand people are following me. So I really should be tweeting about matters and issues that um, mean a lot to me. And those issues are um, health equity, um, diversity, diversifying the workforce, um, addressing structural racism in healthcare. And so then I started sort of tweeting about these issues and I began to gain more and more followers. And it was affirming to know that there are others out there that are concerned about these issues, but also even more importantly, I'm able to make um, connections with people who are also doing the work to address these issues like in real life. And so um, I'm happy that Twitter has formed a community um, for me. And so like I said, I always had a voice. I didn't always have a platform. And now now I do have a platform to address these important issues. That's awesome. I'm glad you make that point too, because you had your voice and the voice then connected and married to the platform, right? And I think yes. that is so inspiring for, for other women because sometimes we do have some things to say and we're not sure like what's the medium that we can use. And so I think it's really great to see how just um, you launching into that space. Now, were, were you a tweeter beforehand? No, or? I was not even a tweeter. Like, so, you know, I should know what's interesting. And I guess, you know, I'm actually going to disclose something on this podcast that not everyone knows that I'm actually going to be resigning from my position at NYU in December. I've already submitted my resignation so I could focus on my company. But I think part of that reason why I resigned is because I really want to have a voice. And sometimes 
in um, you know being working with an or working within an organization, you can't really have the voice that you want to have, right? Because you know leadership has um, their priorities, and your priorities may be a little bit different. And so what I realized is in starting my company, that was sort of like my path to freedom, right? And to freedom to really um, addressing and discussing the issues that mean a lot to me. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I know for me, Twitter has definitely been um, a lifeline for me to talk about some of those things that are that are important and you find your tribe online. And I was so stifled by the things that I could say. I would like, mm. I was working my my day job, my former job, yes. and you know, building my company. And so I know the feeling like you go so, you're like, how far can I go today without, you know, everything know. like crushing down? <laughs> And, and you know what? And then I also feel like, you know, as Black women, we already have so, so many people and, you know, things around us that are policing us and policing our behavior and what we can say and what we can wear. And, you know, I think I just, I wanted to be free. <laughs> Freedom is a beautiful thing. And, and, yes. and I, I encourage everyone, regardless of, you know, where you work or what you're doing, to find those those pockets of freedom so that you can breathe, you know, they're so important. Yes. And then the other thing I wanted to touch on is, so we're talking about using our voice and I often think of legacy building as using our voice because if I, if we're transferring knowledge from some of the things that we say, it might help someone else, you know, spur some of their activism as well and um, helping create change for future and current generations. Uh, you and your sister, uh, are part of a legacy at Harvard Medical School. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and why legacy building is so important to our community specifically? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because, you know, when I think of my sister and me um, as being, you know, having legacy at Harvard Medical School, really what it represents to me is my mother's struggles or our mother's struggles against systemic barriers um, to become successful. So our mom was born, she was born poor, she was born on public assistance. You know, she was a little black girl who was never supposed to be successful, right? But through, you know, hard work and also luck, right? And also people who were out there that she encountered that cared deeply about her and cared about her success, um, she was able to become successful and graduate from Harvard Medical School. And so when I think about like that legacy, it's a legacy of struggle, right? It's a legacy of overcoming barriers. Um, and then also our, our mom, one of our mom's priorities was always giving back to her community, right? And so when I look at my mother's legacy um, in, in full, um, it represents like being grounded, knowing where you come from, knowing who you have to look out for and who you have to take care of. And then also knowing that you have a voice and you can give voice to issues that are important to you. So like my mom, you know, issues that are of concerns to the black community, especially those who are disenfranchised, um, were very, very important to her and are important to me as well. And that's what she's passed on to both my sister and me. So the work that we do really is a tribute to her struggle. Yes, and we we honor your mom, and I'm just so happy that thank you um, thank that you, so you all much. are still doing. You know, you're advancing the legacy, right? And you have young children, yes. and so you yes. know, something will will be poured into them, right? That you're pouring into them, and then we'll see that manifestation yes. later. Yes. So it's it's so. I just think about all of our ancestors and and the legacy. You and I are full manifestations of those legacies, right? And yes, it's absolutely. Beautiful. 
when yes. you think about it, even the, the struggle, but the strength that comes out of that. And um, so I'm so excited about the future. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, you know, being that you are a physician, you are considered a unicorn by many standards in the medical field. Uh, you once said you realized that diversity of our workforce directly impacts our patient care. Tell us more about how that led you to start your company, Advancing sure. Health Equity. Definitely. So, you know, so growing up, because, you know, I, I was in a situation where my mom was a physician, you know, as a Black child, to have a mother who was a physician is very, very rare. I did not know that when I was a child. So about 5 to 6% of all physicians are Black. About 2 to 3% are Black women. And I never knew the numbers were so small until I actually went off to medical school and I looked around me and the majority of my class and my classmates looked nothing like me. Um, but what, what I've grown to understand is that when we look at health disparities and health, health inequities, that affect black people. And let me say that um, those uh, disparities are the most, most profound along racial lines. And so, and they have been incredibly stubborn over the last decades. And so when you look at black maternal mortality, black infant mortality and life expectancies, those numbers are not getting any better among black people. But what the research shows is that when we have um, black physicians or physicians of color in, in our communities caring for us, those health outcomes improve significantly. And so of course there are other other reasons um, for these poor health outcomes, but one of the solutions is diversifying the healthcare workforce. And so that is one reason why I'm, I'm so passionate about this particular issue and why I wanted to start my company, Advancing Health Equity. And so in my company, I do, um, I give talks and trainings to healthcare institutions and healthcare organizations. For example, today I'm actually flying to Buffalo to do a training for New York State with their family planning providers around unconscious bias and how it can influence how they communicate and make decisions about their patients. And so, um, you know, this is one of, one of the reasons why I wanted to start my own, my own company was that I can actually feel empowered to be addressing um, the issues that affect our community so profoundly. Wow, thank you for explaining that. Even as you were talking about it, I was looking, thinking back on my healthcare experiences, and it's been, I've never had a primary care physician that's been a Black mm. woman, um, yes. and then I think the only time I've seen a Black woman physician is maybe when I've had to, there was an emergency and I had to go to like urgent care, maybe, you know, yes. Um, yes. on that line, but how important having that representation is for, for our health, right? I, and sometimes we don't think about how some of these spaces that lack diversity, how important it really is to have that representation. Yeah, and so not only do I work with the organizations to address how they interact with patients, but I also focus on, uh, on how, they're, how they're creating an inclusive environment within the organization, because we also know that in order to keep a diverse workforce, right, and where, where um, diversity can uh, not just survive, but thrive, we need to have environments that can support people, right, that, that look like us. And so um, that's another focus of mine, to making sure that we have more inclusive environments where Black healthcare professionals feel valued and appreciated so, then that, they, they, so that, that they can then take care of our patients um, the best yes. way possible. Absolutely. Yes. Preach, preach, preach. I, yes. I'm, and congratulations on starting that and, and being able to, to move into 
um, your purpose uh, this year. So kudos to you because I know Thank you. you know that's a, a huge leap and it's so important and the work that you're doing is so important. So again, just um, wishing you nothing but the best. Um, Thank you. You mentioned unconscious bias and I know we hear that word often, but for those who may not understand what that is or maybe that's a new term for some of our listeners, could you explain what unconscious bias is and some tips for women of color on how and black women on how to address it at work? Because it is hard because sometimes it can be subtle. Right, right. So, so unconscious bias. So, so it actually is, it's a normal psychological process, right? Um, but the problem is, is that, you know, we live in a society with racism, with sexism that influences um, the way that our mind works um, in very detrimental ways. So I always tell people, like, when you think about unconscious bias, if I say Romeo, you think Juliet, right? Or if I say peanut butter, you think jelly. These are like millisecond, um, millisecond assumptions and decisions that you're making, right? And and then in the workplace, you're making them about people, right? And so that's when we can run, we run into problems. And so when I talk about unconscious bias, I actually um, frame it as a sort of interpersonal discrimination. So we have, you know, we have structural discrimination around like practices and policies, but interpersonal discrimination occurs, you know, between two people. And the way that that can affect us is that it can influence who gets hired, how we get evaluated at work, which leaders are selected at work, who is promoted at work. And so um, obviously it's something, especially as women of color, we should know about because it can impede our progress um, in the workplace. So some things that you know I educate people about and organizations about is to have more structured processes or protocols in place. Like for example, during an interview, it's really important to have like a structured set of questions as opposed to those off the cuff interviews. So for example, you say, oh, hey, I went to high school there. Oh, so did you. And so you end up making these connections with people and you create like a halo bias where you think this person is a quote unquote good fit. And we know what the good fit means sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. It means like a person that, you know, whoever, you know, the interviewer feels, um, feels something in common with. And we know that can influence who gets hired in the end. And so again, like, you know, structured interviewing processes, structured evaluation processes, those kind of um, practices can help mitigate bias that are sort of embedded, um, embedded in sort of the way that we do things at work. That's interesting. Uh, now, I'm glad that you, you spit it out like that, because you do think about when you say just, peanut butter, you automatically think jelly, right? <laughs> Romeo, yes, you already yes. think. Yeah, it's just something so simple, but yet so impactful that can totally yes. like, change yes. the game for yes. someone. So I'm glad that you um, explained it in that way. Uh, that was really helpful. Um, how can people work with you, support you, contact you? Oh, so they can go to my website, um, www.advancinghealthequity.com, and I have a contact form through my website, or they can, I'm on Twitter um, at dr underscore u-c-h-e underscore b-e-e, Dr. Uche-b, um, and I have loved the, communi the community that um, social media has created for me. I've, I've met a lot of wonderful people, and I look forward to creating more uh, relationships um, with those folks as well. Awesome. No, I really love this interview. And it even just has me thinking about certain ways that I can be supportive. Even we, you know, in my recent book, I talk about success partners and sometimes yes. our success partners are look like us and sometimes they don't, but how yes. can we all 
be uh, even championing the work that you do with some of our healthcare professionals, right? And so putting that, that out yes. there. Um, and so that we have those equitable places where we're receiving our, our service and that the physicians that we do have there who may look like us are feeling supported in the ways yes. that they need to be. <laughs> exactly, so, exactly. Yes. Yeah, so it's on I, both sides. It's, it's mm-hmm. on both sides, absolutely. Cool, and I'll make sure that all of your information so people can connect with you are in the show notes. But before we leave, I have to ask you my my bonus questions. And as yes. a lover of grits and rap lyrics, I have to know, Dr. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, I was so curious about asking you this question, what your favorite rap lyric is. Yes. You grew up in Brooklyn, so I'm yes. really curious if it's going to be some, like, someone from Brooklyn. <laughs> so it is um, from Lauren Hill's Do Off That Thing. Don't be a hard rock when you really are a gem. Baby girl, respect is just the minimum. Hey, and why did you choose that one? Oh, I love that one because I've loved it since I first heard the song. But I love it because, you know, as Black women, we're, you know, we're told we're not beautiful, we're not smart, we're not worthy, but we absolutely are. We are queens, and we need to recognize that, that we um, are of value, we, need to, we are appreciated, we um, deserve a seat at the table, and we deserve to do whatever our heart desires. Perfect. El Boogie with the, with the lines. It, and it's yeah. still, even though it's been, you know, I, I I get I cringe when I see some of the things on Twitter like this 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 album came out twenty years ago I'm like oh my I god know. You know? I know <laughs> like, it's still her lyrics are still uh, very timeless. they're timeless yeah <laughs> they really absolutely are. Um, and then lastly the podcast is called secure the seat yeah what does secure the seat mean to you I think okay, securing a seat means to me that um, taking what we deserve and what we've been denied for so long. Um, not just as black people, but as black women um, in this country. So it's acknowledging that we um, and the women who have come before us have had to navigate uh, profound structural um, and interpersonal barriers, um, but that it's necessary for us and even mandatory for us to be in leadership positions throughout various industries and various disciplines because our voices deserve to be heard and they must be heard. Mic drop, they must be heard. <laughs> so I appreciate that. I'm so thankful for you being on the show today. And I'll make sure that people can find you on uh, the internet and connect with you. Thank you for being oh, on Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so grateful to be connected to you. Likewise. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Dr. Blackstock, for your courage, for your voice, for your wisdom. Uh, I hope you all got so much out of that. And you'll start to think about what am I going to do? We don't have a lot left of 2019, but I know one thing as women of color, we specialize in advanced degrees called making it work. And I want you to move different, move different going into 2020. Know that whatever moves you're making, make sure they benefit you. And if it's time for you to activate your voice, I want you to do that. Because the only way that we change the system is if we let people know that the system is broken. And so if you haven't had a chance, please go to wherever you listen to this podcast uh, and leave a five-star rating. Because again, the more we amplify this work, the more of us um, that they start putting more respect on our checks. (laughs) So I just appreciate you all. I hope you have a great week and keep securing your seat. Until next time. Thank you.